breath crept moments from him, moving restless to his bones, threading tendrils of emptiness to kiss extinction through his flesh. Blood dropped like pinpricks, sweat dripped to the stones of Gethsemane. There in the garden, venom slipped from death's jaws. There, death stretched out its claws and heaven was torn. It was death that stood over him, whistling the sting of the whip cracks, its tongue the serpent flicker on his back, its bite the thorns drawing bloodied crown, its heft in the timber he lifted through Calvary's climb. It was death beating in his every step, beating in his chest like last breaths. As death pinned him to Golgotha's peak, the world slipped away beneath. Trees shrunk back to the soil, collapsing to empty seeds. The sun spilled in dark streams down the mountains. Eyes closed to no sleep. Cities slowed their dancing. Firesides filled with eclipse. The stars fell. Love died. Heaven now ash at his feet. And all that was left was death's cold lips, piercing his form, piercing the earth to disorder. arms wide open, and from its bursting heart he arose, breaking the surface of hell's black waters, storm surge in his eyes, head drenched in sighs of the released, dew glistened on his skin like broken chains, standing panting on the shattered grave, death hanging slumped in one hand, the other a flame in the dazzle of a risen world. His wounds spilled the blood of dawns, and his every word was a winged messenger, a blast of trumpets tearing up the skies. I have stood face to face with death. I have wrestled it through the cavernous depths. I have rewritten every word it has spoken. 
I have made it submit. I am the resurrection. I am the breath. Come breathe of me and live. Easter Sunday, resurrection. It's a powerful day, isn't it? This time last week, Sunday, we talked about the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem and how the people cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, calling him king, king, looking forward to him ruling and taking over and helping them. And that was Sunday. We talked last week that it was not just Palm Sunday as we celebrated, but to them it was the lamb selection day and Jesus was literally on a donkey headed into Jerusalem like a lamb to the slaughter. The next day, Monday, Jesus goes back into Jerusalem and enters the temple. And in the temple, he drives out the money changers and declares, you have made this place a den of thieves. But this place was supposed to be a prayer for all the nations and a house of prayer for God. Tuesday, he goes back to the temple and teaches, and the chief scribes, the chief priests and the scribes keep questioning him and ultimately have a plan and make a plan and talk among themselves to arrest him by stealth and kill him. Wednesday, Mary pops a cork on a bottle of perfume, a very expensive bottle of perfume, and washes Jesus preparing him ultimately for burial and washes his feet and dries his feet with her hair. Thursday, Jesus and his disciples are in the upper room and he's teaching them and telling, him th- telling them things like, I must go, I must depart, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. The Holy Spirit's coming and they're probably dazzled and amazed and excited and at the same time going, what is happening? What do you mean you're going to leave They prepare a Passover meal, which they've been doing their whole life at that time. And Jesus kind of takes a turn during the Passover meal and establishes a new covenant with them and subsequently with all of us. That night, he's betrayed in a garden after sweating blood. Knowing what was about to come, he's betrayed by one of his disciples and men with torches show up and take him and arrest him. Ultimately, beat him and Friday comes and he's severely beaten, unlawfully tried and declared to be crucified and he hangs on a cross naked for six hours and dies. Saturday, not much is heard. We don't know a lot, not a lot is in scripture. I think people are hopeless and at a loss for words. Everything they depended on, hoped in about Christ, was literally dead. And they were sad. But the religious rulers remembered something that Jesus had said and went to Pilate and said, hey, this guy Jesus talked about raising from the dead and we're really afraid that his disciples are going to come and steal his body and declare that he's raised and we'll be worse than we were before. And so Pilate issues Roman guards in front of the tomb. And the disciples are scared for their life. Many of them have already scattered and left ashamed. 
And then Sunday rolls around. And a few of his disciples, a few women were going and they were going to anoint the body and go to the tomb that day. And they show up and the stones rolled and they're wondering what's going on and they go inside and the tomb is empty. And that's what we celebrate today. Not just the life, teachings, and death of Jesus, but ultimately the resurrection. And the thing that we have in four accounts, four eyewitness different accounts in Scripture, and the reason why there are four Gospels and four accounts declaring this good news is to give us ample evidence that we can trust in the resurrection. That we can believe that it's not just some fairy tale or just some idea because, see, Christianity is not built on just some random knowledge or beliefs or teaching, but it's built on an event in history. And the Apostle Paul would come being one that persecuted the church and hated the church because he understood what they were preaching but refused to believe it and thought they were just a cult. God shows up to Paul, changes his life from the inside out. And he declares in 1 Corinthians 15, read this with me, look, at, look on the screen, it says this, verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel, the good news I preach to you which you received on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, this good news, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. In other words, if you take it seriously, if you trust in it. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, and then the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still leaving, living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. What is Paul doing? He's writing a letter to the church, confirming and reaffirming the message and the eyewitness account of what has taken place. Not something that someone in a cave came up with and we're just trying to believe in order to have a better life, but an actual historical event with eyewitnesses and saying, you can trust this resurrection. And in our day and age where we're going, okay, this Easter thing, we got it. Can you really today trust that same eyewitness account? I'm here to tell you, and not just me, but many witnesses, not even just from our changed life, which we'll talk about in a second, but based on simple factual evidence and historical fact, not just a random belief that it is true. We can see there's several books 
throughout history, even more recently in the past couple of decades, the evidence for the resurrection. And I just want to give you five basics. It's called the five E's for the evidence of the resurrection in order to let you know this, again, isn't just some random blind faith thing, but an historical event we can trust. And if that's true, it changes everything. The first E is the execution. Jesus was indeed executed on a Roman cross. Historian and agnostic who also says, I'm leaning more towards atheism, Bart Ehrman, was quoted by saying this. Jesus existed, he writes, and those vocal persons who deny it do so not because they've considered the evidence with the dispassionate eye of the historian, but because they have some other agenda that this denial serves. From a dispassionate point of view, there was a Jesus of Nazareth. There are lies and there is rhetoric in our culture that Jesus, that, that's, a, that's a figment, it's not true, it's a myth. And if you look at any historian, all that has been debunked that it's a myth. He was an actual real figure. And we can look not only at the scripture, which again, the scripture are a collection of letters and people and eyewitness accounts of this. Not only that, but other historians and accounts that we have that there was an actual physical Jesus. Some believe that maybe then if there was a physical Jesus, then the execution, they, they really didn't. They were primitive. They didn't understand things back then like we do because we know everything. I mean, I can do a bottle flip of a half-drunken water and land on the table perfectly, right? That's our culture today. That's what gets us excited. We are so much more advanced and intelligent than they were back then. And yet... People have debunked that idea as well. We have more knowledge. We are not more intelligent. And in fact, they would actually know a lot more about death than us. These Roman guards were experts at execution. They understood when someone was dead and when someone wasn't. When was the last time you were in front of a dead body? Probably not very often. You might not know. Trust me, these guys knew. And they declared him dead. He was executed. The next E, empty tomb. Three days after his execution, his tomb was found empty by a group of his women followers. This is significant because the testimony of women was usually dismissed in the ancient world. See, the disciples were defeated. They were discouraged. And they heard these women. And the first thing, they're all confused. And actually, this is more ample evidence because of their confusion, they weren't trying to fabricate something. They were downtrodden. They were frustrated. They were discouraged. They lost everything. The person, they put all their hopes in. They lost everything. And women came in, and they were not trusted typically with eyewitness news in a court of law. And yet it's the women that declared, and Peter and John ran to the tomb and said, what happened? And I love, I actually love the doubt in the scripture because the first time the women see, they didn't go, oh my gosh, just like he said, he, he rose. They said, who stole the body? Who took the body? I love it. Isn't that what you and me would do? They don't jump straight to resurrection. That's crazy talk. And we can relate to that in our culture. I would say someone took the body and that's exactly what they thought. And the disciples ran and they're trying to figure out what is going on. I think this actually gives great evidence. There's an empty tune, not to mention the fact that there were Roman guards there that would have to give their life if the disciples came in and stole it. They would die 
by the sword themselves, if not worse. And yet the body is missing. And there's still no body to this day. Eyewitness, number, number three, the third E, eyewitnesses. After his resurrection, he was seen alive, as Paul just said, by over 500 witnesses. Let me say, you can't perpetuate a lie to this magnitude in the very city that Jesus died in with the people that killed him if it wasn't true. You could go off 2,000 miles away and tell people about some random Jesus, and he rose. I saw him. Yeah, I saw him. But in the very city where the people killed them, in fact, not 50 days later, the disciples are standing up and saying, you know, that Jesus who you killed, and 3,000 people repent in a moment because they knew they had heard about the body. It's empty. Everything was a buzz in the whole community. There was no body, and there was no reason not to believe them because they weren't perpetuating some lie in some foreign land in the very place where everybody saw what had happened. They were able to declare out in public, so much so, Paul's sitting there going, listen, you know those 500 people? They're still alive. Go talk to them. Don't just hear me. Listen to the eyewitnesses account. Listen, this is ample evidence in any court of law, in any reason to believe something. Again, if it's some random person in a cave that then comes out and declares something, you should be skeptical. Please do. But when you see this many people and their eyewitnesses accounts, the empty tomb, the execution, number four, the early records, the gospels were the key witnesses as well as numerous writings by the early church fathers that he had been raised from the dead for many, many centuries, many hundreds of years. We thought the gospels were written way later. Maybe we weren't really sure. And now today, because we've had more fabrics of Dead Sea Scrolls, because we're able to see more, we see that it was written within the same period and really the closest to any letter or anything of antiquity to be able to describe an event. It wasn't hundreds of years later. It was within the same generation. We've even found the ample evidence, much less the Gospels, much less this 1 Corinthians 15 that we're reading, even earlier. Five, emergence of the church. The sudden Emergence of Christianity in the first 30 years has no other explanation than the fact that Christ's resurrection birthed a worldwide unstoppable movement. Let me tell you why this is so important. Because if they were fabricating a lie, listen, they weren't preaching a prosperity gospel where they were driving around in brand new donkeys and everything was going really well for them. It, what, it did not go well for them. All of them except one were martyred horribly, some crucified upside down, burned at the stake, crucified themselves, beheaded, hung. If you know Fox's Book of Martyrs, you see all the martyrs. It, it's not advantageous to believe this or to perpetuate a lie unless it's true. And the, the blood became seed for the church to grow. The blood of the martyrs, just like Jesus being the firstborn, became after him many, many people surrounding him. These are just five, there's much more, but five basic E's as to why we can believe. And I believe as we're looking at 1 Corinthians 15, that's what Paul's like, look, there's evidence, look around. This is the gospel that we're preaching, not just a new thing that we're teaching, but a historical event, an actual like news that this has happened. And he continues, and I love this because he doesn't stop at just the ample evidence, but now he goes on to 
why do we even need a resurrection? Because many people don't even believe in one. Have you ever had this problem? I think it's easy to like love the concept of the cross in the sense that seeing God naked and taking on the punishment of the whole world, recognizing that's my sin. Like me, I've always been a person and I'm just, just kind of born this, this way in that I wanted justice. And I've always kind of had a little bit of a sensitive heart towards people that I hated injustice and I wanted justice. And if I made someone mad or sad, like it affected me. I felt really bad. I wasn't hard, like I don't care about them. I, and that's just part of even my personality, my makeup. Some of you are like that. Other of you are not so much. And there's giftings in that because you could care too much about what people think, right? And you could be led by the fear of man. And it can absolutely paralyze you to do anything and know who you really are. And if you're on the other side of that equation, you just don't care about anybody and you're just not a great person. I, I, I've always leaned a little bit, I just feel bad. For, like if I'm making somebody mad, I'm sad that the worst thing my dad could say to me growing up was I'm disappointed in you, Chris. Oh, oh man. Like that disappointment. When I heard about what Jesus did on the cross for me when I was young, what happened on the cross on Friday, like my heart, oh, okay, I get that. Wow, thank you, God, that you would do that for me. Like you were, I, I don't even know all the doctrine, you're sinless and, and born of a virgin, but, but just the simple fact that you would die and you would do that for me. How can I not be appreciative and be amazed and celebrate this season and this time. And yet, to me, the resurrection was just kind of like, yeah, well, that's cool. But like the cross, like, ah, God, shame for me. Ah, oh, I feel that. And yet, look what Paul says about how important this is. Verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say, that there is no resurrection of the dead. If there is no resurrection of get, dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. Wow. Well, but yeah, but he, he died on the cross. One, I just, I'll just see him one day, right? Because he's dead and we're all just gonna be together. Wasn't the cross enough? Paul would say, no. There's been a lot of people that died for good causes. There's been a lot of people that died over the years for people, selflessly. But they all came up empty because they just died. If Christ has not been raised, again, 14, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, look at what he says. We are then found to be false witnesses about God because this is the good news. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But if he did not raise him, in fact, the dead are not raised. Verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. He says it again. And look what he says. You are still in your sins. 
then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ. We are of all people most to be pitied, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. What is he saying? He's saying people have died. That's happened. They've come up short. But Jesus in his resurrection, was offered as the first fruits. In other words, the first resurrection of many resurrections to come. And if you don't believe that resurrection is possible, then you can't believe that Jesus resurrected because he was the first fruit. Now, the first fruits in their context, especially if you look at the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, was very important. You would offer to God your first fruits of your crop, ultimately saying, I'm giving you the best and the first, and I'm trusting that many just like this are going to come after it. And this is what Paul is saying. This is why it's so crucial. If there's no resurrection, you're still in your sins because many have died, but no one has been found perfect to be raised again. I, I love the show. One of my favorite shows on TV is The Prophet. I really like this show. And you've got this billionaire and he comes in and he saves, typically comes into these small businesses that he wants to invest in. And he'll sit there and he'll talk to them and negotiate and he'll write them a $500,000 check because it's like nothing to him. He'll write them a $500,000 check, get them out of bankruptcy, help them kind of move product, get the things that they need. And it's amazing. Now, imagine if they did some kind of spoof and fake thing and a dude that looked like the billionaire showed up and he wrote them a check and he handed it to them and they're all excited and they go to cash it. And guess what? Like you and me, boom, 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 boom. It would bounce. Because we don't have the funds to take care of the checks that we're writing. All throughout history, ever since the fall, and all of creation, he saw on the screen, the earthquake in creation is groaning and awaiting a change because evil entered the world. And that's why we have both good and evil in God's world. It entered the world and corrupted and tore the tether between us and God, between God and creation, between God and man, between man and man. It tore it. It cut it off. And We've been longing and awaiting and looking. Who will be that next person? Is it going to be Cain and Abel? Which one? Not Abel. Okay, he died. Is it going to be Seth? No. Is it going to be Isaac? Is it going to be Jacob? Is it going to be Moses? Maybe it's, no, it's not Moses. It's going to be David. No. Who is it going to be? Who is going to be the next person? And all of them die and come up short because they can't write the check. It bounces. And the resurrection 
is the clearing of the check of the account of our sin and the brokenness of our world to restore it back where the earth is grumbling and awaiting the return and the peace back with God and with what God wants to do. We're awaiting someone to defeat death. And the only person that could defeat death is someone who was sinless and lived perfectly. Death did not have a hold of them because they never stepped into the things that qualify death. And Jesus would say this, no one takes my life, I lay it down, I give it. Not even the people around that were screaming, crucify him, had control over him. He knew what he was doing. And on that Easter Sunday, the resurrection power entered to where, listen, the check didn't bounce, but it went through your account and your account and my account so that, listen, as Paul says, you are no longer in your sin. You don't have to keep sinning. You're not under the power and the weight and the control of that old life. See, you didn't just need a new teaching. Like a husband who's been beating his wife and he watches a show and the commercial comes up and says, we shouldn't hit women. And all of a sudden he goes, wow, I never thought about that. And he stops hitting his wife. Never happens. Why? Because knowledge isn't the problem. Good new teaching is not the problem. And Jesus knew his teaching was going to be for us and to help us walk in the things of God, but we would never even have the legs to do it without the resurrection power. Amen. It's not the teaching that brings life. It's the event and what Christ did that gives us new life to now walk in the teachings. It's the power of the resurrection that says you're not stuck in your sin. Look at what Paul says in Romans, quick verse, verse 25, chapter 4. He says this, he, Jesus, was delivered over to death for our sins and, look, was raised to life for our justification. Oh. He took on our sins and death, but he's raised to life so that you and me can be justified just as if I've never sinned. And we have a relationship with God. Thank you, God. And you walk around not with a weird pride and confidence, but a healthy son and daughter pride of a father looking down saying, I see Jesus and what he did, and I now attribute it to you. Your bank account is full. And you walk with that level of confidence. I don't have to sin. I don't have to give into this because of what Christ has done. This is the resurrection. This is what we've been longing for. And this is what you have. But even as Paul says, if you don't believe in vain, if you trust and walk in the confidence, the evidence of the resurrection and the very need of the resurrection. We're going to take a turn because we today have at least 11 people being baptized Amen. to celebrate.
this burial underwater and resurrection of new life and publicly tell us, this is my ceremony, my wedding ceremony with Jesus. And I want to ask them to come out and be ready. We're going to do baptisms. I think we have a couple this morning. You guys ready? And we... We get to celebrate with them, and we get to be encouraged by their stepping out and their public confession that I was this way, and now I'm this way, not because just a new teaching, but because an event. Not because I have to do something, but because it is finished. That's the gospel we believe. That's the power of what it means to be a Christian. Let's pray and then we're going to do our baptism. Father, we love you. We thank you for the resurrection power. We thank you for the cross that defeats the sin. We thank you for the resurrection that justifies us before you, God. That makes us righteous. That makes us saints. That makes us, your word says, priests. Your word says holy, blameless, and above reproach, not because of what we've done, but because of what you've done. And we bask in that glory, and it gives us the power to do what you do as well. God, we thank you for that. We ask in this room, Lord, that you're glorified as we baptize these individuals and proclaim that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're so excited to be doing baptism on Easter Sunday. It's so cool um, picture of what's going on. So we have three candidates this morning doing first service that will be coming up, and they're wonderful human beings, and they have all gone through our baptism class. So if you're interested in being baptized yourself, you do need to go through a baptism class. You can hit us up and let us know if you're interested in that in the future. But just to be clear, so make sure we're all on the same page, um, we do not believe at CLC that this water baptism saves you. This is no, there's nothing magical. It's just, just water from a hose. There, there, there's, there's nothing. We didn't pray over it this morning. None of that. It's just water. It's a symbol, um, just like a, a wedding ring is a symbol, um, what it is. So all of these people have been in a relationship with Jesus, maybe for weeks, maybe for months, maybe for years, some of them. But the picture we kind of told them in class is like this. It's like you got saved. It's like you and Jesus just went to the courthouse and got married. Like you're officially together, all right? But today... We're gathering our friends and our family and we're gonna celebrate. Today you're gonna to have your wedding dress. We're gonna have this ceremony and they're publicly saying I'm his and he's mine. So I've asked each of them to, to prepare a statement of faith um, and then we're gonna baptize them. And when they come out of the water, if you would join us and just celebrating and just saying, yes, thank you. And scream, clap, whatever you feel led to do. But we're really excited. So I'm gonna invite.